everyone, and welcome to another episode of Your Money in 20, podcast by your friends here at Woodward Financial Advisors. I'm Victor Colella, an advisor here at Woodward Financial Advisors, and I'm joined by a new colleague of mine, so Taylor Cole, who's a certified financial planner, and she's a wealth advisor here. Hi, Taylor. Hi, Vic. Happy to be here. Yeah, so Taylor, uh, normally, and you've listened, I know, for as long as we've been doing podcasts, but normally, this is when I introduce the topic. But this isn't my topic. This is your idea. So why don't you tell the story of how we sort of came upon this topic? Absolutely. So as you know, at the end of September, I was driving down to South Carolina to visit some family. And as I do every time, I see a billboard, Mega Millions, Powerball. And at this particular time, it was worth $980 million. That's pretty good. Yeah. Now, like everybody else, I'm sure, I cannot help but devote at least some portion of that drive to thinking about what I would do if I won the lottery. I mean, really, the funny thing is, is I don't even play. A little embarrassed to admit I'd have to ask for help from the clerk if I were to try and go play. But either way, I spend some time thinking about it, especially after a year of high inflation. We've got higher interest rates and these mega jackpots. It's tough not to dream of that unlimited wealth. So it's no yeah. wonder that people are willing to take a chance. So that's that was the the seed for our topic and I think to sum it up it's lottery focused right clearly but more more specifically our goal here we had a conversation once Taylor got back about the lottery and we were trying to pick an idea and we said why do people play the lottery and we thought there might be a few lessons that we could learn uh, about how to invest better sort of in that sort of lesson of why we play the lottery so I, I think you'll enjoy it. But before we dive in, I have to say none of this is meant to be financial advice individual to your situation. So if you have tax questions, ask your tax professional. If you have an advisor and you have investment questions, ask the investment questions. Uh, none of this is meant to be advice specific to you. So having said that, uh, Taylor, uh, I've been promised some fun facts as it relates to the lottery. So what do you have? Yeah. So I started with, okay, how much are people even spending on the lottery? As I certainly don't know. So I did a little research and come to find out about the average American spends about $400 a year playing the lottery. Now, obviously some people spend none, some people spend more. So it's an average. And then I thought, well, where's the highest? So Massachusetts is actually the highest at about $800 a year. And Everything's I don't know more expensive guess. in Massachusetts, Taylor. I used to live there. I can vouch for that. <laughs> well, and then on the other side of that, North Dakota is actually the lowest annual spend at about $30 a year. So this took me down a little bit of a rabbit hole, I'll be honest. And I thought, okay, what are even my odds of winning the lottery? One out of 300 million, or just about one out of 300 million. So I thought, well, what are some things that I'm more likely to hit than the lottery? So I thought about some funny things, or I found some funny things. You are more likely to be struck by lightning at one in 15,000. Mm. The one I it makes find me the feel comfortable. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> right? I'm not going outside anymore. Um, the one I found the most funny is the odds of being killed by a vending machine are one in 112 million. Your odds not of adding not only quadruplets, but identical quadruplets to your family is one in 15 million. 
also kind of scary for me. <laughs> yeah. And then for all those poker players out there, you are more likely to be dealt a royal flush on your opening hand at one in 650,000. Okay. So we've established that the odds aren't great. And I don't think anyone here is confused exactly, especially our listeners, some of the most educated listeners on the internet, I'm sure. Uh, No one's asking, well, is the lottery a good investment strategy? I think that's probably table stakes that we all know that. Uh, But again, we think there are a few things we could learn. So, And and I'm I'm sure, and I can speak, I have purchased a lottery ticket, one of these Mega Millions tickets before. And when we get to the reason why that applies to me, I'll make it known. Uh, But really, so we, we got together four different broad reasons that had an investment lesson contained within. So I'm going to kick each one off, Taylor, and then we'll just talk about it a little bit. I know um, we could identify with all of these, especially in the conversations we have with our clients. Absolutely. So you ready to go? Let's do it. So the first reason that that we think uh, a lot of folks pick the lottery is that at some level, they believe that they can pick the winner. And we're saying the lottery broadly, right? We know there's a lot of different brands here. There's the pick six, there's the Mega Millions jackpot, there's the little scratchies that I'm particularly right. fond of for Powerball, uh, stocking right. stuffers, right? But we're using broad strokes here. But we'll say there are some folks who pick the lottery because they think at some level they have the ability to pick the winner. And we know that because humans do this all the time. Uh, specifically with the lottery. And we just learned the odds. They're not great. If we really internalize those odds, we probably wouldn't do it. So Taylor, what is what is this one called? So this is actually an illusion of control. So this is where someone overestimates the influence of their choices on different outcomes. So the best example here would be somebody who keeps the same lottery numbers or somebody who just does the quick pick and gets random numbers. So they feel that they're increasing their odds by sticking with that strategy. Right. And and I'll sort of shift us into what, what does this mean from an investment standpoint? We hear folks all the time come to us with some version of the question, whether they're clients or folks who we don't work with yet or you know friends at a party. They say, well, I want to pick this one because it's going to go up and I, I don't want to have that one because we think it's going to go down. And and that's all an illusion of control because what we know from the data about markets and how you know investors have done over, let's say, the last hundred years is that the future is unknowable. So market prices today reflect everything that's currently known. And the combination or the sort of aggregation of what everybody thinks is going to happen in the future, but no one knows what's going to happen. And that includes us. We've been doing this for more than 25 years with the clients of Woodward Financial Advisors. And this belief is why we talk so much about diversification. If it's impossible to pick the ones that are going to do better over the next year and avoid the ones that are going to do worse, the solution is to own them all. So it's a, it's a commercial for diversification. This won't be the last time we talk about it, but uh, diversification being a critical part of how we should invest. So I anything else on that one, Taylor, or should I move on to the next? No, I agree completely. No, no one has been able to prove that they can consistently pick either lottery winning numbers or which stocks are going to go up. Yeah. Yeah. And diversification, Why? One one more point on that, why it's such a powerful tool 
is that it is the only way that you can avoid, you can basically diversify your way out of the risk of a single stock having some catastrophic event and going bankrupt. So if we said, uh, Taylor, you can buy one one hundred thousandth of all 100,000 Mega Millions lottery tickets sold, would you do it? Absolutely. <laughs> you probably wouldn't win a billion dollars, but you'd, no. you'd still make a few bucks probably, which is maybe a better way to think about it as an investment. <laughs> okay. So let, let's go to the next one. So I don't know about you, Taylor, but I've heard some version of, so my friend at the cocktail party, and, and I don't know if anybody goes to cocktail parties any, any, anymore, but at the bar, at the, at the party, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. says, I heard Bitcoin is going to go through the roof. Or I heard the Mega Millions jackpot, maybe to use our, our topic here, <laughs> I heard the jackpot's at $2 billion. Let's do this thing. Like, let's get on, get in on the action. Right. So, Taylor, wait, what about this one? Oh, sure. I mean, Thanksgiving is coming up, right? Somebody's uncle <laughs> somewhere is going to talk about Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, the thing is, is that we humans are social creatures, right? We We have this, some of us suffer more than others, but a fear of missing out. Um, this is really comes back to our roots, right? We are social creatures and we were able to survive that way. So we want to belong and we want to fit in. So if somebody is talking about either a stock pick or the mega millions and getting in on it, we naturally feel that urge to want to be part of the group. Yeah. Now I and and I'll admit this is the one that got me. Maybe unsurprisingly, when I lived in Massachusetts, uh apparent apparently with the data, but you know, it's at the lunch table at work, a bunch of folks are saying, do you know what this jackpot's at? Like, let's go in on it. So this is super powerful. And for lottery, it's pretty harmless. Well, you know, unless you're hanging out with a group of people who's doing this all the time, maybe, but it can be a lot more damaging on the investment front. I don't know who you hang up, hang out with Taylor, but for me, it's not a bunch of uh, PhDs in financial markets. Uh, it just isn't. And and those are the folks who we've leaned on over the years, sort of the academics who've done research on markets over the past 50 years. They're the ones who we lean on to build our investment strategy because uh, they bring the data, they bring sort of the academic rigor and a sort of an independent third party to the problem. And that's how we build our strategies. And, and, you know, anything else that comes from those conversations, you should look at it with a skeptical eye I mean, sort of bump it up against what is the research and the data that should form your investment strategy. Right. Facts and evidence. Yeah. Facts and evidence are good things. Um, Okay. On to the next one. So this one's related to the first one. But, you know, sometimes I think folks, and when we talked about this before, it's a little harder to put a finger on. But, you know, when you watch the news or when people are talking about their investments, you only hear about the winners mm-hmm. or the people who have lost horribly in some tragic way. But for the most part, you only hear about the winners, whether that's, you know, lottery winners um, or whether it's people who pick the right stock at the right time. So what's this? There's a name for this one that you, you gave me earlier. What's this one called? Yeah, it sure is. This is the availability bias. So this is when, you know, we estimate the probability on things more heavily for those that we hear more often that are more available in our brain. Yeah. And 
And one thing, you know, that I said earlier, the future is unknowable. Mm-hmm. So that information isn't available. You know, there are people who say they know what's going to happen next. And that's, you know, that goes into the first one, only pick the winners and not the losers. But, um, you know, if the future is unknowable and, uh, you know, everyone's talking about only the winners, I think at some level we all internalize that the odds of picking the winner instead of just the loser are higher than they are. Right. And, and that plays for the lottery, for sure. Uh, but it also really plays on the investing front. I don't know. The, we we talked a couple of examples before, just from the last handful of years. Uh, well, Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, we already mentioned that one. Uh, you know, when something's going up and down by thirty percent in a day, or you know, over the last year or two, it's been truly a lot of down. But uh, you don't hear about the folks who have quietly lost everything on the downswing. You hear about the folks who are bragging about how they made, you know, all this money because uh, they bought GameStop or Bitcoin. So uh, definitely a lot more talk about the winners than the losers out there in the world. Yeah. Would not make for a fun cocktail party if uh, people are just talking about all the money they lost. <laughs> wow. A real downer. Yeah. A real, yeah. <laughs> a real downer of a party. But, you know, that, that's a good point, though. These are all so connected. You know, we're mm-hmm. making them sound like distinct things, but what you're getting is availability bias through cocktail parties <laughs> um, where people are talking about only picking the winners. Right. Know, that all happens in one sentence. So they're they're very connected. Okay, last one. Yeah, let's do it. So this last one was, it's not so much why folks play the lottery the first time, but maybe it's why they keep playing the lottery. So I'll give an example personally. Uh, a family member of mine for ages used to play the pick six, right? So this is where you pick six numbers. And you'd hear things every once in a while, like I'm due, I'm due for a win. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, and this person didn't, uh, you know, didn't bankrupt themselves, but that sort of, uh, you know, I haven't won in a while. If I stop playing now, it's gonna, it'll be just before I'm about to win. What's this one called, Taylor? Well, you've probably heard it before. This is the sunk cost bias. Or sunk so this, cost fallacy. Yeah, yeah. That's another way to say it. I've heard that one too. Sure. Yeah. So this is where you make increasing commitments to a failing course of action. You're really just trying to justify the time and the effort that you've already put into this. Yeah. But what we know, what we know uh, from the data about sort of not just markets, but also um things like playing the lottery, Mm -hmm. whether you've bought 40 tickets before the 41st ticket, Mm -hmm. your odds are the same for every ticket. Every time. Yep. And those odds aren't great. (laughs) One in 300 million. (laughs) Yeah, right. One in 300 million. So that feeling that you're due, uh, that holds true in so many parts of your life. If you keep working hard, one day you're going to, you know, it's going to pay, it's going to pan out. For a lot of folks, that proves true, but for markets and for um, the lottery, it's not true, right? Just because every uh, you know, just because uh, the 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 stock went up yesterday doesn't mean it's going to go down today. It might just keep going up. If you own individual stocks, this is why we talk about diversification so much. If you own individual stocks, there's no guarantee that that stock that's cut in half over the last year 
is ever going to go up again. But what we know is that the broader market has always continued on this upward trend because of innovation and sort of the power of companies innovating in no matter what environment we find ourselves in. So uh, it's a commercial for diversification, but also sometimes cut your losses. Realize that every day is a new day and you should do what makes sense uh, no matter what happened yesterday. And that's, you know, diversified discipline investing with all the data that we talked about before. So Taylor, we've established all these things we shouldn't do. What should we do? Well, my advice would be, and really, so I had to do some math here, of course, because, you know, we're, we're, we're kind nerds. of nerds here. Yeah, we're nerds. Yeah. <laughs> so if you were to take that $400 a year and instead of putting it into the lottery and you invested it, diversified it, and let's say the S&P 500 over so 35 US years. large cap stocks. Yes. Yep. Which has about an annualized compound rate of return of about 11%. So I plug that into my fancy financial calculator. So if you did that for 35 years, your total investment would be about $14,000. Okay. After 35 years, though, it'd be worth $155,000. That's pretty good. Uh, if you had spent that on the lottery, uh, I don't think you would have bought 300 million lottery tickets yet. I wouldn't think so. <laughs> yeah. So your odds are pretty good uh, relative to the lottery, at least. So that's a good plan. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not nothing. You know, it's not enough to retire on, but it's not nothing. Yeah, and and just to sort of sum this up, and we know that that's a false trade-off. There's not a lot of folks who are saying, "Should I play the lottery or should I dollar cost average into the S&P 500?" That's kind of, we're doing it for fun, but that's <laughs> yeah. not often a decision that people make. But but our point really overarching everything is there's nothing wrong with playing the lottery for fun. You should think about it, though, like uh, a Starbucks habit. If it makes you happy, get the pumpkin spice latte. Go for it. But it's not worth going into debt over, and it's certainly not an investment strategy. So you, you can think about it uh, similar to that, that uh, cup of fancy coffee. Absolutely. I feel like this is a personal attack on my love of pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> no judgment here. Yeah, no judgment here. All right. So we're running out of time, but I want to wrap up. Vic. If you won the lottery, what would you do? So I would record this podcast, but I would be recording it from uh, a a drift boat in Montana uh, with a fly rod in my other hand. So that would be my plan. And I'd probably do that most days of the year as long as there wasn't ice. What about you? Well, you know, mine's not much farther off than yours. I would be investing in one of those big Mercedes vans. I'd nice. get it all built out with a sink, and I would get my nine-pound chewini, and we would travel around the country. I like it. And by the way, for those who are who don't know Taylor's dog, a chewini is a type of dog that is a what, chihuahua and wiener dog. Yeah, a chihuahua Datsun mix. So fits really well in a Sprinter van. Yes, absolutely. So, and he loves to travel, so. Good. Well, thank you, Taylor. This, is a, this was a good idea. I think it's a fun podcast, but hopefully someone... Uh, took something from it on an investment on the investment front. So thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Your Money in 20, the podcast by your friends here at Woodward Financial Advisors. We hope you enjoyed it. Now, if you'd like to continue the conversation, you could find us on the web at woodwardadvisors.com and as a firm on both Facebook and LinkedIn. 
There's a link to those pages at the bottom of our website. You can also find us all as individuals on both Twitter and LinkedIn. Now, we love receiving listeners' suggested topics, so if you have a topic you'd like to hear more about, please hit the Let's Talk link at the top of our website and submit a message with podcasts in the subject line. Thanks again for listening and talk to you next time.